This morning's reading comes from the Gospel of John and we need to know a little bit about it before we get into it because it sort of cuts in halfway through the experience. Prior to the, this reading, just prior to it, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. They're about to share together in communion, what we call communion, the Last Supper, and uh, they share in that. And, and before they do so, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And straight afterwards, just before this reading, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And it's Judas, and he leaves the room. And it begins, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Judaizers, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. There are four gospels, we all know that. Matthew, Mark and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. It's a word that simply means they kind of line up a fair bit together. And then you get this other gospel called the gospel of John, which doesn't read like the others much at all. There's stories that are the same, lots that aren't, and there's whole bunches of dialogue of the way Jesus talks that don't, doesn't appear in the other gospels at all. It's a complicated story. And no less complicated in this text because it uses the term glory and it uses the term love. And those of us who have been in the church for a long time have heard those words over and over again. And it's sort of like water off a duck's back after a while, doesn't it? You just hear them and you know that that's what the Bible seems to be full of and that's what religious people say to each other. And We don't really know necessarily what it means and particularly when it seems so convoluted as so many parts of John's gospel are. Now the Son of Man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. It's difficult to understand what's going on. One of the ways of thinking about it, of course, is to see that what to try and understand what glory is. It's all through the Bible, and the Gospel of John loves it more than anything else. It's, uh, there are more mentions of the word glory or gloriousness or glorified than in any of the other Gospels, more than twice as much. The idea of glory is this sense of illumination. When we see paintings of glory, it's always... Um, shooting out of, some, of somebody's head, either God or one of the saints, uh, or there's this aura around them. It's this idea of illumination. 
And a really good way to understand it is it's a, it's a, it's a way of seeing things magnified, the magnification of reality, if you like. It's the revelation of the deep structure of things. One way to see glory that's been available to us in the modern era is to look at a microscope. Because you can see the bits of the, of the, what the makeup of the human body, of other creatures and of plants and of minerals that was unavailable to people before the invention of the microscope. It gives you an, a, an understanding of the structure of the reality of things. And one of the things we've discovered over the last century and a half is that we're mostly made of nothing. We're made of atoms, and the atoms are mostly nothing. There's things in them, you know, neutrons and, and protons, but mostly there's space. Which is an extraordinary, because we feel pretty solid, except when, you know, some mornings you don't quite so well, but, but you know, and the, and the seats we're sitting on, they feel pretty solid. But there's an inner structure, and it's really different. It's this sense of glory, is this sense of exploring the world, exploding the world out so that you can really see what it is. And so one of the things that Jesus is doing is talking about the deep reality of his experience of life and everybody's. For Jesus, the deep interconnectedness between him and God is at the heart of everything in the Gospel of John. Over and over he talks about the one who sent me. He uses that phrase eight or ten times. The one who sent me. Like there's a deepness, connectedness. And then a number of times he talks about him and God being at one. Being deeply interconnected. And the whole Gospel of John is built around this idea of a deep connection between humanity and divinity. The coming together of everything. So there's another way we could read this text, understanding that idea of glory, is now the human one, because son of man means the human one, it's some phrase that Jesus seems to use all the way through the Gospels, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke and John, and it seems to be indicating this idea that Jesus wants us to know that he is a human but that his humanness is, as it could be for everyone, deeply connected to the meaning and reality of the universe. The word he gives to that is father, a deep interconnectedness. So a lot of scholars say the best way we should translate son of man is the human one. But it goes to that. Now the human one is being fully experienced honestly for who he truly is. And God is experienced, is being experienced truly in him. If God is being experienced in him fully, God will also be experienced everywhere fully. Truly be being in every moment. Now that's a way that we could try and unpack what Jesus is saying in that moment. Now this is near the end of his life. So the things he wants to tell his disciples are really important at this point. When you're close to the end, you, there are things that need to be said. And one of the things that he needs to say, and he says it over and over again in the next few chapters, is there's this oneness between him and God, and they're, they're being called into that same oneness. 
That's the glory. So what triggered him saying this to them? It's not sort of something that you would imagine somebody just saying off the top of their heads. What triggered it is the two events just before, the fact that he washed the disciples' feet and that Judas betrays him. Now the washing of the feet is a problem. You'll notice the Pope does it quite regularly now. And it's bishops do it. And sometimes uh, in Protestant churches on Maundy Thursday, people wash each other's feet. Now, there's nothing wrong with it. Most of us, you know, it actually feels quite nice as long as you're not too uncomfortable with whoever's doing it. It's lovely washing your feet, isn't it? Particularly if it's been hot and dusty. But it isn't always hot and dusty here. And the, pu- the purpose of foot washing was not so that they could have clean feet. It was a demonstration of doing the ordinary, everyday things of life that must be done in order for community to work. So it's sort of funny to focus on foot washing rather than focus on what was behind it, what was the point of it. Because foot washing for the disciples was not a big deal. That's what they did every day. Everyone did that for each other. That's how you welcome people into your home. It would be like you coming into my home and us standing at the door and me chatting with you and saying hi and not inviting you to sit down or inviting you to have a cup of tea. The first job I ever had as a church youth worker, I went out visiting with the minister that I was working with. I was kind of an apprentice in that role. And he took me to this first place. We went to a lady's house and she said, would you like a cup of tea? And I said, no, thank you. I don't drink tea. And I didn't. I didn't like tea or coffee at that point. And after we left, he had a cup of tea. After we left, he said, son, you're going to need to learn to drink tea or coffee. I said, well, I don't like it. He said, I don't care whether you like it. She wasn't, she doesn't care whether you like tea or coffee either. She was inviting you to be present. Now, you know, when you're 18, you're dumb and you don't know those things. That's sort of so obvious to all of us. And it would be really obvious if I did invite you to my place and we did stand in the doorway and I didn't invite you to sit down and I didn't invite you to have a cup of tea because we know they're the things that, are, that need to be done. Now, you're probably not dying of thirst. You probably don't need a cup of tea in that moment. in order to live. But you do in order to be in community with me and I need to in order to be in community with you. There are things we must do in order to make community work. That's all Jesus is doing. He's doing, but he's doing the basic things. He's doing, he's doing maybe even something more bottom line than making a cup of tea. Maybe he's cleaning the toilet before someone comes. You know, just so that it's all nice and fresh because I'm having a visitor come over for a cup of tea or to stay the night. They're the sorts of things that have to be done. So you've got Jesus, that, that event precipitates him saying this stuff about glory or this stuff about deep interconnectedness, that somehow the two things are linked. You don't have to be out there doing the amazing thing. Well, that's good every now and then. But you better be out there doing the ordinary thing. Otherwise we can't live together. And then he goes on and tells them, tells them about love. Well, if glory is a difficult word to deal with because we've heard it so many times, love is just about being beaten to death. I love chocolate. I love the beach. I love my dad. I, they're not the same things. Well, chocolate maybe, but they're not the same things, are they? It, but, but we haven't got any other words for it. So we kind of say these things. And so when Jesus says love, we go, yeah, of course, everybody should love everybody. And, and, and in fact, both of the leaders of our political parties last night told us they loved Australia. And 
I, do I, I don't know whether I love him. I don't even know what that would mean. I've got a rough idea what it means to love my dad or my partner or my kids. A rough idea. They might have an even rougher idea of my love for them. I don't know. But, but I've no idea how, how you can sort of extrapolate it out. So what's Jesus saying? Well, it's got to be something to do with the washing of the feet. It's got to be something to do with the ordinariness. I think he's saying something like respect and honour. So if you said, instead of I give you a new commandment that you should love one another, what if you said, just as I have shown you respect and honour, you should also show respect and honour to each other. And this is the way everyone will know that you follow me. Because you respect and honour people. And that's a thing that you have to do. You can't just say, I respect and honour everyone. You have to do it person by person, don't we? And we all, we all know this stuff. Bob Hawke died this week. Someone who died earlier in the week that you may, certainly won't make the news in Australia in quite the same way is Jean Vanier who's the man that started in 1964 the Liage communities all around the world. And they're communities of people with intellectual, uh, mostly intellectual, sometimes physical disabilities, who all live together. And companions, they're, they're often called, live with them. So people who are a little more able-bodied and a little more uh, able-minded who are able to help them with their lives. It's a really simple model. And Vanier was all about doing the ordinary things, not the great things, the ordinary things. So when he visited in 1960, uh, 1962, he visited an asylum in, uh, in, uh, outside of Paris and he met these two men who'd lived there most of their lives and were, were living in horrible conditions. And so rather than institute a policy or run for parliament or campaign for a better life for people with intellectual disabilities, all of which is worth doing, and many people have done that uh, over the last 24 hours. He said, I think I will just find a house and I will live in it and I will invite these men to come and live in it with me. So these two men, Philippe and I can't remember the name of the other man, both now died. They were a little bit older than Jean Vanier. Vanier died this week at 90. And he lived with them. And from there, he, he would never plan, he just lived with them. And they figured it out as they went along. And then that grew, and now there are Liage communities all over the world, and one trying to be established here in Adelaide. And you may have seen, I think last, late last year, there was a, a fundraiser for that we were advertising in a film, a film night, uh, trying to establish, uh, uh, to be able to get a house and begin a community here. He, but Vanier was always on about the small things. Let me just read you a couple of quotes to finish. Every child, every person needs to know that they are a source of joy. Every child, every person needs to be celebrated. Only when all of our weaknesses are accepted as a part of our humanity can our negative, broken self-images be transformed. And another one, we seek to be communities where people whatever their race, religion, culture, abilities or disabilities, can find a place and, get this, reveal their gifts to the world. Can find a place and reveal their gifts to the world. 
That's what I think that new commandment might have been about in John. So be it.